You know, the month of September, we really focused on prayer, and I started a, a series of messages on prayer that has kind of gone over into October, so um, I've, I've probably got one, maybe two more uh, on this subject, if, if I can get through this morning. So I'm going to get right into it. I didn't finish my message in the first service. I guess I could finish it now and then start back over, but... Uh, I'm just going to start from the beginning. So last Sunday morning, by the way, if uh, if you weren't with us last Sunday, I would really encourage you to go on our YouTube uh, website, uh, message site and get last Sunday because I laid the foundation last Sunday morning for this Sunday's message. Uh, in talking about prayer, when the disciples came and asked Jesus to teach them to pray, he taught them more than just the Lord's Prayer. We tend to focus on that and forget the rest. In the Lord's Prayer, he was talking about how we approach God with our needs, and we approach him as Father. The Father knows what his children needs. But then when he talked about intercessory prayer, he talked about approaching God as a friend on behalf of another friend. The, the concept of God as a friend is absolutely foreign to all other religions except Christianity. Uh, I could name some religions, I won't, but if you were to say to them, is, would your God be a friend, they would tell you absolutely not. There is nothing in their Bible or nothing in their religious rules and regulations that will allow for a friendship with God at all. In fact, their God is, is somebody that they're trying so desperately to please, and their whole religion is based on works. If you do enough, if, and, and they don't know until the end of the way whether they have a chance of making it to a better place or not, because they, they, they feel like everything will be weighed in a balance at the end of the way, and if your good deeds out, outdo your bad deeds, then or if you do something exceptionally well, like giving yourself as a martyr or something, then maybe your God will accept you. But in no way would they ever think of their God as a friend. And yet all the way back in the book of Genesis, God called Abraham his friends. And Jesus said, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. We can be a friend of God. Now don't take that flippantly in any way. We still reverence God and respect God, but we have a relationship with our God. He is a personal God. He loves each one of us individually. He's not looking at us through some you know, set of rules where he's looking for a way to get at us or keep us out. He's looking for a way to draw us into his love and into his fellowship and into his family. So when we intercede for others, it's like a friend interceding to a friend for a friend. And that's intercessory prayer. And I spent a Sunday morning talking about that. Last Sunday morning, I talked to you about the third and final way that Jesus taught us to pray and approach our Heavenly Father. And that is as if we are in a courtroom in heaven presenting a case before God who is the judge of all the earth. By the way, God is a judge. All the way back in Genesis again, the Bible says, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And I can assure all of you this morning, put this in your little black book and remember it for time and eternity. The judge of all the earth shall do what's right. 
If you've been mistreated, taken advantage of, swindled, cheated, abused, neglected, or anything like that in life, I can tell you there is coming a day when we will stand before the judge of the earth and the judge of all the earth will make everything right. Isn't that a wonderful thought? That God's going to take care of all of it? Amen. That's great. That's great. He is the judge that will balance this thing out for us. Praise God. And uh, so there's really no reason for us to get all frustrated and bent out of shape when things don't go our way or even when we're mistreated. The best thing we can do is just cast all of our cares upon the Lord because He cares for us and He's going to take care of us. So last Sunday I began this third and final way talking about prayer and God's justice system. God has a justice system by which He operates and if that were to ever get out of kilter, this whole universe would just absolutely go into oblivion because it's all held together by the justice of Almighty God. And He is a judge. And so in heaven we go before Him. My text is from Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 and 11. Let me read it. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ have come. For the accuser, say accuser, the accuser of our brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death. Praise the Lord. Now, uh, the reason for this teaching and the reason Jesus taught us to pray in this way and how to operate in the throne room or the courtroom, we could call it, of heaven, is because there is opposition to our prayers. Have you ever been pray, praying and you felt that opposition? Anybody can identify with that? You, you felt like you were being opposed. Well, it's because you are. There, we have opposition. And it's in the form of an accuser. We have an accuser. Turn to your neighbor and make sure they understand that. Say, we have an accuser. We have an accuser. Now, there are there are two Greek words that are translated accuser. The first word uh, that's translated accuser is the word diablos, and it's found 34 times in the New Testament, and, and it's used of Satan. He is an accuser. Um, I said in the early service, and I said it because the Bylers are here this morning, and their son owns um, interest in a lot of these Diablo restaurants around here. I, I like Diablos, and and uh, I, I told him, I said, uh, when I walk into to Diablo's, um, I hear the accuser. He tells me, you're eating too much. <laughs> and when I'm in Diablo's, I say, get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> and I order another cheese dip. And, and, uh, <laughs> so, but that's not the Greek word that is translated accuser in my text this morning. That's another Greek word. And that Greek word is categorious, categorious. And uh, this word categorious has chiefly to do with a judicial proceeding. In fact, the root word for, for this word for accuser is the word agora, which means a place of public speaking. And it's prefixed by kata, which means against. So this word literally means, I'm giving you the definition of it, literally, here's what it means. 
It means speaking against someone before a public tribunal. You got that? Speaking against someone before a public tribunal. So when Revelations, when John the Revelator saw into the throne room of God, he said that when our prayers come up before God, there is an accuser that steps forth and makes a public address against us and against our prayers in an effort to hinder them. The purpose of Satan in this, uh, in this judicial system is to keep us from living in victory, to keep us from being overcomers, to keep us from inheriting all that God has for us, to keep us from walking the kind of life that the Lord wants us to walk in and live in and function in and operate in. He is an accuser. I gave you an example of that last Sunday in Job. When Job was presenting his prayers before the Lord, Satan came up against him and he accused Job before God, before the tribunal of heaven, of serving God for the wrong purpose. In fact, Satan said to God, if you'd take that hedge array that you've got around uh, Job with which you're protecting him, if you'd take that down and let me get at him for a little while, he'd curse you to your face. Well, Satan's a liar. And you know the end of the story. Job did have a severe trial, very severe trial. But at the end, God gave him victory and restored to him twice what he had in the beginning and taught him how to function in heaven so that never happened before him, happened to him again. And that's what I want to help you do this morning in the next, today and next Sunday. And if I have to go to the third Sunday, I, I, want to, I want to try to help you in this area of understanding how you present your case in heaven so that you get a verdict that's in your favor. How many of you want a verdict from heaven that's in your favor? Amen. Say amen. 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 Well, let's look at it. I want to tell you the devil's an intimidator. He's a liar but he is subject to the rulings of heaven. He is not in charge. God is in charge. And he wants you as his child to know how to appeal in such a way that he can justly give you the answer to the prayers that you're seeking. You ready for this? Let's look at our defense. You ready for the defense? Here's, here's how we defend ourselves against the enemy. Revelations 12, 11. I read it a while ago, but let me read it again. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. These three things I'll deal with now. There are other things, but we'll deal with these three first. First of all, the blood of the lamb. I read to you last Sunday from Hebrews 12, 22 to 24. Let me read it again. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to, the God, to God the judge, say judge, the judge of all, and to spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator, say mediator, of a new covenant, and to the blood that sprinkleth, that speaks better things than that of Abel. Now, I want to tell you something this morning, church. Blood speaks. Think about that for a moment. 
because I'm sure that a great big question mark comes up in your mind and you say, how? Can I tell you this morning? I don't know. But I know that blood speaks. The reason I know blood speaks is because the Bible says that blood speaks. There's a lot of things about blood that we don't fully understand. Even when you get in the medical profession, I had a physician, I had a surgeon, a heart surgeon, say to me a few weeks ago when we were dealing with my wife's case, um, it was a female surgeon, she said, we know a lot about the heart. We know a lot more about the heart today than we've ever known before. But she said, can I tell you that there's still much that we do not know about the heart? Well, there's much that we know about blood, but there's much that we don't yet know about blood because we're still learning. But the Bible says that the life of the flesh is in the blood. I don't think anybody would doubt that. That there's something about blood that carries life. If that were not the case, then if you had problems with your blood, we could just drain your blood out and shoot some water in your veins. But if we do that, you know what's going to happen to you, don't you? You're going to die because water can't replace blood and you live. We, we could shoot Kool-Aid in your veins or anything else in your veins, but there is nothing that will keep you alive but blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Now, let me give you the, let me give you the, it talks about the blood of Abel. Let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter four and see the blood of Abel speaking. Chapter four of Genesis verses two to 10. Now, Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at your door. And its desire is for you. What's desire? Sin. Sin lies at the door. Sin's desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Who should rule over it? You should. In other words, God is saying to Cain, I've, I've, I've showed you how to offer sacrifices for sin. I, I've told you how to take care of the sin problem. Sin should not rule over you. And we're under a better covenant than Cain, than Cain was today. So let me say to you this morning, church, there is no reason under the sun for sin to rule in any of our lives. Just no reason for it. You don't have to be addicted and in bondage and, 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 and all tied up with, with stuff because God has given us a way where we can take authority over sin and sin does not have to rule in us, period. Praise God. Go ahead and give God some praise for that. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. The Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice, 
the voice, hear this, the voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now that's something I don't understand fully and can't explain, but I believe it because the Word of God says it's true. The blood of Abel cried out to God from the ground. And you know what it was crying for? Justice. Abel was unjustly killed, and his blood was crying for justice. And because of his blood that was crying for justice, God was, was under his judicial system obligated to bring judgment upon Cain. That to be a just God. How many of you believe God's a just God? He's a just God. So God, in his justice system, repaid Cain with judgment when the blood of his brother cried to the ground for justice from God. So justice was granted. But I told you a while ago, we're under a new covenant, and there is another blood that speaks. I read it to you a while ago. There is a blood that speaks better things than that of Abel. Abel's blood cried for justice. But Hebrews 12 and 24 says to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. You know what the blood of Jesus is crying out for today? Grace, mercy, redemption, forgiveness. How many of you are glad about that today? That's what the blood of Jesus Christ is crying out for us this morning. That's why I told you last Sunday, in, in, if you're going to come to God with prayer requests, you need to make sure that the sin problem is taken care of. First John 1 and 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You need to make sure that you, you, you got, your, got sin covered by the blood of Jesus because then the blood of Jesus will cry out for mercy for you when you're before the throne of God and the accuser is trying to keep you from getting your prayers answered. Uh, you say, preacher, are you, are you, uh, what, what, I'm confused. Are you saying that, that, uh, that, that we're a bunch of sinning Christians? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. When, when the blood of Jesus washed away our sins, we were forgiven for all that stuff of the past. However, none of us have yet walked in sinless perfection except Jesus. He's our example. We're, try, we're trying for that, but we haven't gotten there yet. Um, you, you, if you're sitting here and say that you've never sinned, um, never fallen short since you got saved, then um, you need to read the whole book of 1 John. He said, if we say that we haven't sinned, we're a liar. In other words, all of us have fallen short. I, I shared with the, with the first service this morning that, you know, some, sometimes we, it, it's not, there's one definition of sin as a willful transgression of God's law. That's what sinners do. That's not what Christians do. But Christians sometimes fall short. That's another definition of sin, to come short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sometimes we fall short. The, the other day, for example, I, I fell short, real short. I pulled up to a stoplight and a guy had pulled up in this lane beside me over here. And, um, and when I started off, he started off too. He should have turned right because I knew his lane was going to end 
very, very quickly. And, um, and it kind of aggravated me that he didn't have enough um, courtesy to the rules of the road to get behind me instead of trying to get in a lane beside me and beat me to the, to the end of this little thing here. So, so uh, um, uh, there's other people that are aggravated and annoyed by that, aren't they? Yeah, I, I, was, real, I was real aggravated. And, and, and if I hadn't let him get a little jump on me, he would have really been in trouble. But, uh, but I, I didn't know for sure he was going to do that, but, but he did. So, I mean, I give it everything I had. And, uh, and, 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 and we're about like this. He's here and I'm here, but, but I'm still beside him. I'm still beside him. And, I, and I've got the right of way. I got my lane. His lane's going to run out. There's a ditch over there. He's, 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 uh, he's, um, and, uh, and, and, and I'm thinking, um, I, I don't like that. You, you play by the rules. You, you get behind me like you're supposed to. And, uh, but he wouldn't let up. And I mean, we're, we're to the point, and, and right now I'm at, the, I'm at the rear quarter panel of his car when his rain, lane is running out. And he's coming on over. And I mean, he's coming over so close, you probably couldn't have got your hand between our cars when I finally, I had to make a decision. I really, to be honest with you, I really wanted to take the side of his car out. <laughs> I, I, I really did. I wanted, I wanted to wreck that dude. I, I know it's not, it's, it's carnal. It's, it's not right. That's not, that's nothing godly about that. I forgot all about being sanctified or filled with the spirit or, or even being a preacher. I've, I've forgot. I forgot about everything there for a few minutes and, and, uh, but just at the last, I had to make a decision. I'm either going to wreck this guy or I'm going to let this bully in. And I've, I've hit the brakes and he got in. Otherwise he would have been in the ditch. <laughs> and, uh, so I was, I was trying to reason this thing out and I, was, I felt pretty sanctimonious about that. I did. I did the Christian thing. I let him in. But we got to the next stoplight. And I was turning right at the next stoplight, so I'm beside him. He's in the left lane now. And I'm beside him. And he looks over at me and he goes. I, I am not going to repeat what I thought. Because it wasn't right. <laughs> I, 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 wanted, I wanted to follow him to his destination and give him a piece of my mind and tell him, you bully, if I hadn't let you in, your car would be in the ditch or my car would be inside yours because I had to right away and you didn't. But, um, and then I got to thinking as I turned, I was actually so angry I was shaking. I was, my mind was tore up. My, I, my adrenaline was going, boy, I, um, oh my goodness. And I said, I'm not supposed to feel this way. This, this, is, this is not the way you're supposed to feel. I had to, I, had to, I had to find a place and repent and ask God to forgive me and ask God to, and pray for him. I prayed. I said, Lord, bless that idiot. And, uh, <laughs> 
And then, and then, and then God made me even, I had to quit calling him names. I had to, I actually had to bless him in my prayer. But it calmed me down. Once I did that, once I got that, got it, get it out of the way. Now, let, let me tell you, I didn't have to do that. God didn't make me do that. The Holy Spirit did quicken me because I needed to do that. But I didn't have to do that. But let me tell you, if I had not repented, the next time I went to the courtroom of heaven with my prayer request, the accuser would have said, I got a case against that guy. You going to answer his prayer? He acts like that. He's got thoughts that are unholy. He got anger. He displayed. He's, he's not right. God, you don't have a just right to answer his prayer because he did something that wasn't right. Now listen, God has made it easy for us, folks. John 1, 9 again, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Let me tell you when that sin got forgiven. I didn't have to go pleading and begging and crying and squalling, and I didn't have to go to a priest or go to a counselor or anything else. I'm not against any of those things. But let me tell you, I was forgiven at the moment of my confession. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. God had a just right when I confessed it to forgive it, and it was gone. Praise God, gone gone. Deal with sin. Gone. Now, <laughs> we've got an accuser. It's important that we stay right with God and keep sin out of our life. Look at Colossians 2.14. Having wiped out the handwritings of requirements that are, was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, nailing having nailed it to the cross. Uh, let me tell you what this is referring to. When the enemy starts bringing up stuff of your past, the Lord Jesus, again, has taken care of that if we allow him to. When, when this was written, there was a way that the judicial system dealt with, with um, bankruptcy and, and house foreclosures and so forth. And this, this is the way they did it. It was, it was an unusual way, but, but if you study history, you'll find that there were many years that this is the way they used to do it. If, if you if you're, couldn't make your house payments and you got into debt and you could not pay your bills, the, um, the institution that you owed would come to your house and they would nail a list of your infractions on your front door, have a list of them, a list of them, of where you, it would say they, they um, had a loan, extended them on such and such a date, and uh, they were late on this date, and they were late on that date, and they're three months behind here, and they haven't paid here, and they haven't paid here. Thus, we are foreclosing on this house, and this house will be sold at public auction within 30 days, and they'll give the date when the house is going to be gone. Now, the reason they did that, they nailed that on the house, so that if, even though the person that's living there can't meet their de debts, they can't pay their bills, maybe there's a family member, 
Maybe there's a benevolent friend. Maybe there's somebody that will come and, uh, and, and will, will be kind enough to pay that debt for them. If they do what they do, they walk up to that, to that, um, that list of infractions that they've got and they fold it over and write their name across it and nail it back up there on the door. And so the bank, the lending institution, or whoever is owed the money, when they come back and look, they know that all they got to do is contact this person and everything is taken care of. Now, what this scripture says is that, that there was a list of requirements that we had not lived up to. There was a list of failures that we had. There was a list of sins that we, you and I had. Just like this. I made a, I made a whole list of, of sins. Not my sins, your sins. Um, no, no. I, I just made a list of whatever came to my mind this morning. I wasn't thinking of anybody in particular. I wasn't. Uh, but anyway, let, let's say these are all mine because uh, we've all had some failures and shortcomings, haven't we? Well, Satan nailed this thing, in, uh, tried to nail this thing on our heart so that every time we stand before God, we got a whole list of infractions and shortcomings. But what Paul said in this letter to the Colossians is that Jesus saw that list when we came to him. And he took that list and folded it over and wrote his name across it. Glory to God. And then, and, then, and then he nailed it to his cross. So that means every time Satan's looking for somebody to accuse, and he, he has to go to the cross, and when he does, when he finds your list or my list, if you've done this, if you've taken it to the Lord, when he finds that list, he said, oh, goodness, Jesus has already taken care of that. He can't. He is not allowed to unfold that and bring those back up to you again. Never, never. The court of heaven will not recognize it. The only thing the court of heaven will recognize is this right here. This is what the court of heaven will recognize, Jesus. Is the court of heaven recognizing Jesus in your behalf this morning? Have you taken care of it? If you have, give God the biggest praise you've given him today. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Nailed it to the cross. The blood of Jesus is speaking better things than Abel. The blood of Jesus is saying, <laughs> he, he's clean, he's pure, he's righteous, he's holy, all of that. Second thing, and let me, let me move along quickly or I won't finish for this group either. The second thing, and, and, and hear me carefully, if you miss everything else I say this morning, please get this point. This is the most important point of my message. I believe, I believe that this is the one area where Christian people fail the most and keeps them from living in victory. They overcame him by the, by the blood of the lamb. Say that with me, blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Say the word of their testimony. The word, now let's make it personal, the word of our testimony. Say that, the word of our testimony. Words are very, very important, and they must line up with the word of God. Let me give you some scripture. 
Proverbs 18 and 21 says that death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. Death and life in the power of your tongue. Romans 10, 8 and 9 says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we preach, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that, uh, that the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart the Lord Jesus, uh, you, that, that God's raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's how we got saved. We confess. Here, here's, here's why we got saved. I know we're saved by grace through faith. That's what we believe in our heart. But this has to match this, and this has to match this for salvation to occur. But when those three things line up, you're saved. You're saved. Because look at verse 13. For whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Glory to God. That means you're calling on him. You're believing in your heart what the word says. Now, here it is, folks. Please get this. The blood of Jesus speaks forgiveness and redemption and restoration and, and, and all of those wonderful things. But you can plead the blood of Jesus till you turn blue in the face. And if you turn around and your testimony does not line up with what the Word says, then you have negated the power of the blood of Jesus in your behalf. Let me give you a, a simple illustration, an example of that. I hear people say, and I know where they're coming from, and I know that they don't say it really understanding what they're fully understanding what they're saying. It sounds so spiritual. I hear it sounds so humble. I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. Have you heard that? Yeah. Have you heard that? Sure you've heard it. Um, you may have even said it. I've said it in times past, years gone by before I learned better. But when I got to looking at that sentence, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, I realized that, that that's a contradiction. You can't be a sinner and be saved by grace. You got to be one or the other. You can't be both. There, there's a, a great song, and I love the tune, and the, but the words are not, they're theologically incorrect because it said, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Beautiful song, beautiful song, beautiful song, but it's, but it's incorrect. If I confess with my mouth that I'm a sinner, the accuser stands before God and says, I know the blood of Jesus stands to, to, to redeem him from all of his sins and so forth. And I know you've done that. And I know there's no sin in his life. I know it's covered. I know it's taken care of. But he is confessing that he's a sinner. How can you deal with him in any other way than dealing with a sinner if he confesses that he's a sinner because he's not confessing what your word says? The Word says when we've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ that we become the righteousness of God in Christ. If, if you want to use that statement, use it correctly and say, I was a sinner. I am now saved by grace. Glory to God. 
then, then, then you can line things up and the, the accuser cannot, his legal document before the throne room of God will be cast out as inadmissible because it's a lie. But if you continue to confess with your mouth things that are contrary to the word of God, you're blocking your own pathway to victory in the courtroom of heaven. Church, this is, this is not for babes that are, that, are, that are sucking the bottle. This is meat for men this morning and meat for women that have grown up in the Lord. We, 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 we're to the place. We've been serving the Lord long enough that we ought to be able to walk boldly into the throne of grace and make our requests known to God and come away with a verdict that honors God and, and gives our prayer request the answer that we're longing for. And we can do it if we'll line our words up with the Word of God. I hear people all the time going around and confessing that, that, that they're sick and confessing that they got all kind of problems and confessing that they're weak and, and confessing that they got all this family history and it just runs in my family. Heart attacks just run in my family. I guess I'll have one before I'm 40. I've heard people say stupid stuff like that. I hear people talking about my diabetes and my migraine headaches and my, 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 my. And the devil, the accuser, is standing at the throne room of God when you ask God to heal you. And he said, no, 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 no. They're saying that that's their cancer. That's their heartache, heart, heart attack. That's their heart condition. That's their diabetes. That's their, that how you, you've got to get rid of that stuff. I, I was just reading last week, uh, book of Return to the Roar, and um, uh, the couple that wrote it, um, his name's Pat, her name's Karen, and um, beautiful, beautiful book. I, I really, really enjoyed it. But Karen was diagnosed with cancer. And when the diagnosis came through and they went through all that they were going to have to do and they weren't fighting against the medical profession at all. In fact, Karen agreed to go through the treatments and everything. And, and, uh, but she sat down, her and her husband, Karen and Pat, sat down with the doctor and said, Now, doctor, please understand where we're coming from. We, we know what you've told us the diagnosis is. We, we, we know that. We are submitting to the treatment. We're, we're going to believe God to bless and that the chemicals that you put in my veins are going to work. We're, go we're going to believe that. But we're going to ask you from this moment forward, we will never use the word cancer again. I am not claiming this cancer as my cancer. I'm just not going to do it. I'm saying by the word of God and by faith in the word of God, by his stripes I am healed. And I'm going to believe and we'll go through the process, but we won't, don't, don't call, don't, don't refer to this as cancer anymore. I'm not claiming that. That's not mine. I don't have cancer. Cancer is trying to invade my body, but I do not have cancer. I'm rejecting it. I'm resisting it. I'm refusing to accept it. I, I'm, I'm just not going I'm, long, long story short. She has been completely healed. She's five years past it now and has been declared cancer free. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Just last night, Faye was feeling well enough last night to, 
to get out and we wanted to be at the the concert under the stars last night for I care and support them and we were there a beautiful program wonderful uh, wonderful program and um, on our way out we ran into a couple I did not know the couple but the lady has been friends with my wife for many years I guess they got to be friends back when our kids were in school or something I don't remember what the connection was but I do remember we used to pray for, for them. She would request prayer for her husband. Her husband was, became deathly ill. And uh, in fact, her husband, uh, I forgot how many different diseases he was diagnosed with. And he was given one year to live. And he kept getting weaker and weaker and weaker. And the last time Faith saw this couple, he was in a wheelchair and could not function anything. I mean, his body was so weak that he couldn't do anything. He had to just be wheelchaired and taken care of. And last night we walked up to him and, and here he is. He was walking and right there with his wife and talking and Faye was just shocked. And she said to her, wow, look what the Lord has done for your husband. My goodness. She said, yeah, let him tell you. And so he started telling us what happened. He had gotten so the doctors, the doctors told him, said, you have one year to live at the most. You probably won't make it a year, but at, at the outset, you got, you got a year. And um, boy, the family was taking care of him and, and, and staying, you know, just looking over him all the time, 24-7. And, and he just got so tired of being looked after. He told his family one day, he said, all I want you to do is just get out, get out of the house. I want you kids get back in school. You don't have to stay here and look after your daddy. Get back where you belong. Told his wife, you get back to work. I'll be here when you get home. I can sit in this wheelchair. Just leave me alone. And so they left him alone. And when they left him alone, he got in his word. I mean, he got in his word. His eyesight was going and it got so bad until he had to read just like this could barely see, got, went blind in one eye, and the vision in the other eye was going. And, uh, but he just kept reading the Word, just kept reading the Word, just kept reading the Word, believing the Word, confessing the Word, got a hold of the Scriptures and the Word, started listening to Kenneth Hagin, that'll build your faith, and, uh, and, and, and just kept on, and just faith, 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 just filled his body, his mind, his soul, his spirit with the Word of God. And he said one day he was sitting there at the house, and so weak he barely had the strength to wheel himself from one room to the other and he had just come into the den and he said he didn't think there was anybody in the house and all of a sudden he heard a voice that said get up and walk and he said it shocked him and he he, he reeled back and he he, he said I, who is that and he said there wasn't any answer but in a few minutes it said again get up and walk and he said he determined it must be the Lord. And so he started pushing himself up. And by the time he got to his feet, he was healed and well and whole, able to go. Hadn't been, hasn't been back in the wheelchair. He's still walking. And he said, said a few days later, he was reading the word like this. And the voice came to him again, said, push that word down. And he started pushing it back and pushing it back further and further and further. And the further he pushed it back, the more in focus it became. And God totally restored his eyesight. Don't even wear glasses. I mean, he's healed. Praise God. But his, 
his confession matched the word of God. And God had a just right in heaven to answer his prayer request because his confession, they overcame him by the word of their testimony. Your testimony's got to line up with the word of God. Get your testimony right. Get it right, get it right, get it right. By the way, that, um, that man's a Baptist man. I was thinking this morning, I'm going to have to get that Baptist guy to come over here and tell us Pentecostals how to get our prayers answered in heaven. <laughs> Amen. Here's the thing about it, church. In, in the throne room of God, it doesn't matter whether you Baptist, whether you Methodist, whether you Presbyterian, whether you Pentecostal, whether you Lutheran, whether you whatever it is. It, all that matters is if you line up to this right here. The Word of God's the same for all of us. The Word of God is the same for all of us. Amen. It's whosoever will. If you'll believe what thus saith the Lord and confess what thus saith the Lord. Praise God, my time's passed and I didn't get the third point in the first service. I'm going to get it in the third, second service because we don't have Sunday school between them. Third thing, and I'll just touch on it and we'll close. They were dead to self and alive to God. It says, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives until the death. What I'm preaching to you this morning, folks, is not something you can dabble in. It's not something you can try and see if it works. If you're going to, if you're going to live on this next level where you have access to the throne room of God, the courtroom of heaven, and you know how to present your case and you come away with a good verdict, you, you're going to have to be in this. John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. You got to die to self. Jesus said, if you want this, then take up your cross and follow me. It requires death to self. They didn't let, in other words, they said, if it, here's what Job said. If God slays me, I'll still trust him. That, you see what I'm saying? That's it. Because he said, I know one thing for sure. God's a just God. And at the end, I'm going to come forth as pure gold. Even after the skin worms destroy my flesh, yet in my body shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and that not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Glory to God. When he's tried me, I'll come forth as gold. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Stand with me, if you will, please. Praise God, praise God, praise God. The blood speaks, and the blood is crying out for mercy, for grace, for forgiveness, for acceptance, for righteousness, all of these wonderful things. God wants us to live in victory. Doesn't want us to be defeated. Wants us to live in victory. Blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony. Get your, get your, get your testimony to line up with the word. And then Go for it with all you have. Amen. This is, a, this is a life and death decision. Make up your mind. God told Joshua, said, present it to him this way. I have set before you life and death, 
And then in case we were too silly and, and slow to figure it out, he said, choose life. I don't know about you this morning, but I want life. Praise God, praise God, which reminds me, I overlooked a couple of scriptures here that I think are important. Joel 3.10 says, let the weak say, say it again, say it again. One more time like you really mean it. I am strong. The accuser says I'm weak, but I say I'm strong. Glory to God, glory to God. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we may be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Glory to God. Stop talking about your weaknesses and your failures and your shortcomings and your family line and all that stuff. Start talking about who you are in Christ Jesus. Glory to God. I'm an overcomer in Christ. I'm victorious in Jesus. I'm triumphant in Him. Glory to God. Greater is He that's in me than he that's in the world. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Bow your head and let's pray. Praise God. If you're unsaved this morning, while we're praying, will you open your heart to Jesus? Will you just invite him in to come today and just wash away all your sins? He'll take all those handwritings and accusations of the enemy against you and he'll just fold it over and write his name on it in his blood and it'll never be brought against you again. You'll have free access to the throne room of God. You'll be made an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ, a child of God. Hallelujah. Whatever need you have today, whatever you've been struggling with, if there's a sin problem anywhere, confess it. Get it under the blood today and then declare that I'm going to profess and confess what the Word says about me. I'm going to lift my prayer request to the Lord, believing that when I get before heaven, and, it, and if you want to hear the help that we have to present our case, come back next Sunday because I'll talk to you about the helpers we have, two main helpers that we have in the courtroom of heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this service today. And I thank you for every man, woman, boy, girl under the sound of my voice. I just pray that you'll come now, Holy Spirit, meet every need. I pray that you'll save the lost. I pray, oh God, that you will help us today to walk on a new level, in a new level of faith, begin to confess what thus saith the Word of God. In Jesus' name.